Welcome to the Property CEO Podcast, your inside track to the world of property with your hosts, Ian Child and Richie Clapson. Hello and welcome to the Property CEO Podcast. My name's Richie Clapson and I'm here with Ian Child. Hello, everyone. And in this episode, we're going to be learning a few tricks of the trade from dot-com startups in Silicon Valley, aren't we, Ian? That's right. I was talking to uh, one of our mentees the other day about starting a business, and it reminded me of my corporate days when I, I worked oh. with some uh, extremely bright private equity advisors from the uh, from the US. So, yeah, what what are you saying that they uh, they were they were even cleverer than you? Uh, well, they're actually a lot cleverer than me, and also <laughs> a lot younger. Uh, and plus, they probably earned millions and got to fly all over the world. Ah, uh, but I bet they weren't happy. Yeah, no, it sounds awful, doesn't it? It does sound awful. Anyway, they introduced me to a concept called Lean Startup that was uh, that was great for getting new businesses launched, but it also had some lessons and parallels for uh, for property, which I thought might be useful to uh, to share with people. Fantastic! I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, so tell me, what have you been up to this week? Well, mostly this week, I'm uh, I've been recovering from our, our little trip up to the the Property Investors Show in London. If I'm honest, oh, I see. Why did you Why did you need to recover then? I mean, uh, what was you know Was it really stress for you? Stress? Well, no, that's easy for me to say. Was it stressful for you? The just, show? Uh, no, no, no. no the, the show was fine. It was the it was the the journey up to the show that that nearly did for me. If I'm honest, that wasn't stressful anyway. I did the driving. So what you know, what you had to do was sit there and look out the window. Okay. Well, let me just r- remind you. Uh, of this blissfully stress-free journey, shall I? You know, there are times when you have a nagging doubt, um, (laughs) when you've asked someone to do something and you're just not 100% sure that they're going to do it right. Yeah, every time I see you park your car, that's when I get that (laughs) nagging doubt, I can tell you. Well, I had that feeling, funnily enough, when we agreed that you would arrange to hire a van to take us and our equipment to the XL. Now, I should explain, that uh, Richie and I don't own any sensible vehicles between us. <laughs> we <laughs> so, do. No, no, we don't. So this meant that um, as we we had a stand at the Property Investor Show with all the equipment, so we had to hire a van to carry all of our stuff up there. Uh, so, uh, the, so the first thing that happened uh, th- is that you were two hours late in picking me up, weren't you? Well, no, but I had, uh, I had a few logistic issues with the van. Right. And so two hours later, just as I'm expecting to see, you know, a small, modest Ford Transit pull into the driveway, uh, this eight-seater luxury Mercedes-Benz minibus uh, turns up. Kind of gleaming silver, fully automatic, blacked out windows. And I'm kind of thinking, well, crikey, I wonder which A-list celebrity has inadvertently turned into my driveway. And then the engine stops, the door opens, and this rather... A familiar figure jumps out, and I realise that this is Richie Clapson's interpretation of a small transit van. Come on, you've got to say, she was an absolute belter. Stunning black, you know, nappier leather interior, absolutely... Everything on her was electric. Even the doors, the doors were electric. And the minibus was, it was a she, was it? It was a female minibus. Yeah, it was, it was. Right, and do you you remember how many miles it had, sorry, she had on the clock? (laughs) Twelve. I think when I picked her up, (laughs) she had just arrived that day, just twelve. Twelve miles. And did the rental guy tell you how much it cost? Uh, Yeah, I think he said it was between 60 and 70,000. Right. And of course, at this point, I remember very distinctly three questions immediately popping into my head. So, firstly, 
Uh, who were the other six people we were going to be taking to the London Excel event in this eight-seater minibus? Uh, secondly, why had we hired a 70-gram minibus and not a small transit van? Yeah, OK. And what was the third question? Why on earth did I agree to let you be in charge of hiring a <laughs> Well, look, I think I got an absolute bargain. Right. Anyway, I may have been a little late, but, uh, you know, that was because it took me so long to load up the van. Well, there's probably all those pesky seats getting in the way. No, but look, you have to admit, she handled like a dream on the motorway. She just floated along much better than being in a transit, you've got to admit. OK, yes, but that was when I encountered yet another one of your unique foibles. Uh, do you remember this? No, what was that? That you can't physically drive and follow the sat-nav at the same time, <laughs> which is a bit of a challenge when it comes to uh, particularly the motorway. Well, well, there you go, talking rubbish again. <laughs> you know perfectly well that I can. No, I know perfectly well that you can't. You somehow managed to make four wrong turnings between my house and the XL. Did I? And do you know how many turnings there are between my house and the XL? No. Six. So that basically means that you know, the nice German lady that was telling you where to go in your Mercedes sat-nav uh, gave you a total of six instructions and basically you managed to cock up four of them, which is pretty pretty high error rate, really. Yeah, but look, that's not entirely fair. You know I think there's some really poor signage on the M25. Well, perhaps you were struggling to see out the blacked-out windows. <laughs> <laughs> my my favourite one was when we were sitting in a massive traffic jam and on, on, this is on the M25, and you completely missed the empty exit road that we had to take before the Dartford, <laughs> uh, it was a Dartford crossing, wasn't it? Yeah. So we had to sit on the M25 for another 90 minutes until we could come off at the yeah, next junction. Look, look. But anyway, I got us there in the end, didn't I? Which was, that was the main thing. And then, and then, despite the sat-nav screaming at you to come off, uh, you stayed on, and then you forgot to pay the toll, <laughs> so we got a fine. Yeah, look, but that wasn't, that, it just wasn't very signposted well either, that, that toll somebody, stuff. somebody else's fault, wasn't it? So as you say, we arrived... Um, about, well, four hours later than planned. Yeah, but we got everything set up in time and we had an excellent show, didn't we? Oh, well, we did. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. My seminar talks were completely packed out, standing room only. True. Yeah, if you took away the chairs, that helped, didn't it? Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I can't deny, though, that your, uh, your talks went down very well. Yeah, and it all went without a hitch. Well, that's not entirely true either, is oh, it? Oh, what do you mean? Well, um, there were only two things that you had to sort out. One was the van. And, uh, and do you recall what the other one was? Uh, no, uh, not that clearly, no. <laughs> well, that would be the TV. Ah, yes, yes, that was it, the so TV. <laughs> we, uh, we arrive at our stand uh, the <laughs> evening before the show. It's good, it was good. Yes, and, and bearing in mind that our stand isn't that big, uh, I'm kind of expecting to see, well, you know, like a, a modest 32-inch television, you know, that we can play our, our kind of looping video on. Uh, but no, but no. For some reason, you know, we, we turn up and there is this massive 85-inch plasma television on a massive stand. Quite a bit of kit there, wasn't it? It was. In fact, the, uh, the stand uh, it was on took up exactly, because I measured it, 100% of all the floor space we had. So basically, there was no room for us. So I wasn't sure exactly what kind of went through your head when you thought, I know, I'll order us a TV that takes up... The entire stand. Were you thinking that, you know, we might appeal to the short-sighted property investor segment or something? What was the uh, what was the, what was your thought? Look, I was just keen to catch people's eye, and uh, you know, thought a big screen would just cause a bit of a stir. You know, you definitely couldn't miss it. But I have to say, luckily, we did 
managed to yeah. swap it out for something smaller. Common sense prevailed, but it does, I don't know, it does beg the obvious question, doesn't it? Well, what's that? Well, whenever you order anything, you always go completely that, overboard. That's not true. You order a van, we get a limo. You order a TV, we get a cinema. You order you order some fun-sized suites, and we get an entire news agent. Do you, do you know, I can't <laughs> actually now look at more teasers no not without breaking it out into a cold sweat we've still got you you know we've still got another 200 bags to get through after your last spending and i'm going through them as quickly as i can we should have stuck them on ebay well yeah that would have been a waste there wouldn't it Right, whereas eating 800 bags of Maltesers between the two of us isn't, isn't at all wasteful, is it? Exactly. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> anyway, look, enough of this banter. It's getting out of hand. It's high time you stop bickering. I stopped and instead, Yeah, you, and instead told us all about what you learned from these Harvard buddies of yours. Uh, Okie dokie. Well, I have to say, it was, uh, unlike, unlike everybody, it was, uh, it was a real pleasure working from, with them, from them, with them, <laughs> from did, them, with why them. Why did you have to say that? It's, uh, it's in my contract, actually. Um, so let me quickly explain what happened. I um, I headed up the business unit for a, a multinational insurance business. And when we got bought by private equity, the new owners parachuted in a group of kind of Harvard-educated uh, whiz kids to, to lend the management team kind of their expertise. Okay. Did, did it work? It did. It was great. I mean, you can imagine that you had you know people like me who'd been in the industry for a long time. Yep. And uh, the, the dead wood, as it was. <laughs> is, that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> Moving on. And then you had a load of bright young things who'd studied kind of in the best business schools in the world, but they didn't really know anything about my business. So you put the two together and of course you get a really powerful combination. It ended up teaching, uh, I think, all of us a great deal and certainly really helped helped us grow the business. So it's fantastic. So now I know there was so much stuff that you learned from these guys, but one of the things that, that really resonated with me is the lean startup philosophy that you applied when launching new products, which was, was the thing I wanted to focus on today. So I thought we could do that. I think it's really relevant for, for what we do in property. But to be honest, it just makes a lot of sense pretty much for any business, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. So, so for those people that maybe haven't heard of Lean Startup, let me give you a bit of a, a background. Uh, the Lean Startup is, uh, is a book by a chap called Eric Reese. Uh, who is an entrepreneur based in in Silicon Valley? Now, after he graduated, he worked. Well, he worked for a startup that went bust, and then I think he worked for a larger business on a product launch uh, that that was quite expensive, but but flopped. Okay, so so I'm not automatically thinking I should do everything this guy tells me. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um, but the great part is he realised exactly why it was that both those things failed. Yeah, he realized that one of the problems that a lot of businesses encounter is that they spend an awful lot of time, effort, and money perfecting a product before they launch it. So, you know, that sounds pretty reasonable uh, thing to do, doesn't it? But after all, you wouldn't want to put something, uh, you know, a product out there that everyone thought was rubbish, would you? Well, funny enough, that's exactly what you do want to do, in a way. You see, okay. what happens is that uh, we all make assumptions about what customers want, and those assumptions may be. Completely logical, but they're still only assumptions, which means that there's a chance that they could be wrong. And then we spend time making the product as great as it can be because we want it to have the best chance of success when it launches. You know, we add all sorts of bells and whistles that we think customers might like. And the problem is that on many occasions, we we take a wrong turn. We make an assumption that might not be right. Or or perhaps we even make a fundamental error that means that our, our subsequent work is, is wasted. Now, what Eric Ries saw was that people invested so much time and effort in launching the product. And so, you know, when it didn't fly, they were sunk. 
And that's why his old business went bust. So what, what did he say was the solution to all this? So the solution that he came up with was a thing called the Minimum Viable Product, or MVP. So this is basically a version of the product that is actually rather rubbish, but it's just good enough to convey the idea or the benefit of the product is kind of about maybe 70% complete. Yeah, but but you know, but surely people would get complaints if they released a product that was only 70% complete? Well, of course they do. But the marketing promises a lot for sure, uh, but the early adopters, you know, they definitely get a product that's that, that's not perfect. So yes, of course there are some complaints, but more importantly, uh, they get feedback. In other words, they get to find out very early on whether their assumptions are spot on or whether they've they've actually missed something. And then, of course, that allows them to refine the product based on that feedback. So does this prevent them from going bust? Well, in many cases, yes. They end up perfecting their product based on actual customer feedback rather than doing it based on assumptions. Um, uh, In the book, it's called the Build, Measure, Learn feedback loop. And it's uh, it's incredibly powerful. It means you're you're basically guaranteed to end up either with a product that people want or or if it's rubbish... uh, You'll find out early on, and you can either just you know ditch it or, or change the product before you end up spending a fortune going uh, going too far in the wrong direction. So, is it similar to to the principle of just do it? You know, it's a simply a case of of just taking action. Not not exactly. I mean, I think the great thing about just doing it is that you get to find out quickly what your results are because you are taking direct action. But it, it's kind of so much more effective than pontificating on the sidelines and just thinking about it for sure but the, the problem with that approach is that there's no there's no structure around it so once you've done it you'll get a result but but what do you do next what lean startup does is provide a, a structure around the process so that you know what your next steps are based on the results that you see yeah but what happens if you launch a product and your customers hate it aren't, aren't you forced to to give up Aha, uh-huh. no well one of the uh, the key concepts in lean startup is this thing called pivoting so this basically involves changing direction based on the learnings uh, you've had previously. I mean, it's unlikely that you've developed a completely useless product, but you, you may need to make some pretty wholesale changes to get your results. Uh, you may need to move in an entirely new direction. So you could, for example, change the features of the product based on the feedback you get, or maybe you actually need to change the audience. You know, Perhaps the product that you designed... Uh, is kind of best serves a different group of people to what you originally thought. So perhaps it's not so relevant for the uh, the original target audience that you had in mind. And this is, of course, something that rarely happens in traditional product design because there's a kind of lack of these external inputs. The assumption is that the product concept is sound until it's launched. And, of course, by that time, it's, uh, it's too late. It's funny, it was reminding me, actually, when I was having this conversation, it came out the back of um, one of the challenges that we set our elite mentee group we uh, we give them around uh, on this particular task around 20 minutes to build something to a very specific uh, specific set of rules and with very limited resources and what we usually see is that most of them spend 90 percent of the time working out how they're going to do it uh, but only 10 percent actually doing it and by the time they've they've kind of found out they've made a, a pretty fundamental fundamentally wrong assumption it's too late to do anything about it so the group that always wins that task is the one that starts building stuff straight away because, of course, they find out the fatal flaw early on and then they've got lots of time left to try and fix it. I love that challenge. They think it's going to be easy, but it's not. And so did you use the lean startup in your private equity business, you know, equity-owned business then? 
Absolutely, and I have to tell you, it was uh, it was so empowering. I remember the first time we used it, uh, I had a meeting, I think it was six o'clock in the morning, with one of the, the private equity guys in a, in a greasy spoon not far from the office. So it wasn't all glamour then? <laughs> to be fair. Well, to, to be honest, it did have the best coffee machine for about mm, three miles. Uh, plus, it was the only place stupid enough to serve breakfast at six o'clock in the morning. So it was a it was a bit of a mecca. Uh, anyway, I'd, I'd had this new idea for a, a new product that I'd been kicking around for a while. Knocked up an outline um, of, of what it would look like, run some high level numbers, and then um, yeah, I decided to share my idea with this guy over uh, over coffee and a fried egg sandwich. You remember it was a fried egg sandwich. Well, uh, that's a bit like saying you remember you had fish and chips for dinner. Okay, sorry, daft question. Let's move on. <laughs> what did he say? Well, he loved it. He said it was definitely worth uh, a punt. So I arrived in the office that morning, uh, you know, a couple of hours later with a budget to develop the product. And by the end of the day, I'd seconded two members of staff. I'd interviewed and actually hired an external project manager to manage it who was going to be starting in 48 hours' time. And uh, then, yeah, we just went forward from there. Everything we did was aimed at understanding the quickest way of finding out whether the product worked and if so you know what what it should look like and having launched products before the previous approach would have been very different you know it had taken a serious amount of time to get you know a six-figure budget agreed and then there'd be countless meetings and getting everyone's input yeah i mean instead you got a budget agreed in less than an hour over a fried egg sandwich i just love that yeah well i think the fried egg sandwich is is the probably the key part i mean unfortunately eric missed that out in his book but I, I found it quite uh, quite critical but I'm not to be fair I'm not sure my choice of breakfast necessarily sealed the deal but it was certainly uh, very empowering and of course with Lean Startup it doesn't need to be a six figure budget because you test and earn as you go so you don't spend a, a fortune before you find out whether something flies or not, you actually find out a lot sooner and at a fraction of the cost. And do you know of any other businesses that have used the lean startup uh, methodology? Yeah, no, there's loads. Uh, probably the most famous one, or several of the most famous one of the, one is Dropbox. Now, you know, I think they've got over half a billion users worldwide now. But you know, it started life as this minimum viable product, this MVP in the form of a. I think it was a. They put out a three-minute screencast, a so video showing consumers what Dropbox could do. Mm-hmm. And they used the feedback to the screencast to, to test if there was a demand for the product. And, of course, at the same time, they captured an audience through a, by setting up a, a kind of waiting list. But the important part was you know, the comments that they got on the screencast video because that gave them some really high-quality feedback from target customers, which they then used to shape the product. Um, so they built something that customers wanted. Mm-hmm. Like Another it. really great one is... Um, Zappos, the American online shoe store. When Zappos started out in 1999, um, their CEO didn't really know whether customers were ready to buy shoes online because, of course, it's not. You know, normally, you go to a shoe shop yeah, and try them on. all the rest of it. Um, so the logical thing would probably have been to, to bought some stock, set up a, a kind of inventory system, and then a network of distributors, and then kind of see if there was a demand by launching an online site. But instead, what what the CEO did, I think it was genius, he he basically approached local shoe shops, he took pictures of their stock, and he posted the pictures online (laughs) on a basic website. And then if he received an order, he'd go into the the shoe shops and buy buy the shoes from them, um, and then ship them out, uh, you know, paying full price. And send them, you know, directly to the customers. So that's that was how he found out that there was a demand for online shoe sales. And yeah, I love that example because it's it's so it's so stupidly simple. 
uh, and he's now he's now the head of a, a billion dollar business. Believe I mean, not. that's amazing. I mean, I I love it. Just a bit of thinking outside the box, and of course, uh, if he sold no shoes. He would have pivoted or presumably given up without having invested a shed load of cash in setting everything up before, you know, he, he offered any shoes for sale. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, the other great example, going to the other end of the, the scale from a, a startup, is, uh, is GE. You know, they actually hired the author, it reads, to, to help them develop an in-house version of Lean Startup, which they called, I think they called it Fastworks. And apparently they've now trained over 40,000 of their employees on the, the, the solution, on the strategy. And they reckon they've cut development times by an average of two years. Plus, uh, I read that it was it was 40% cheaper now for them to launch new products, which is absolutely incredible. Yeah. Bear in mind that a lot of G's products, the budget for some of those products are, is absolutely enormous. So a 40% saving is, is, is Well, it's massive, crazy. isn't it? Absolutely so massive. anything else we can learn from Lean Startup? Well, uh, the process also utilizes our old friends, the, the, the five whys. All right. Um, so this is where you keep asking why to determine the root cause or uh, you know, the symptom of a, of a problem. Uh, and that is, that's such a fundamental skill set in property development, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, particularly when you've only got a little experience, you have to approach issues with the mindset of a CEO. Keep asking why until you get an answer that satisfies you. You can't just accept that someone tells you, you know, what, what they tell you straight away is gospel if you don't understand it. Keep digging until, uh, you know, you find out. And remember, who pays the bills absolutely. it's you. Absolutely. So true. So true. Okay, so the Lean Startup uh, seems like a, a great tool if you're starting up a new business. Um, and then, you know, I think there are some real learnings from a, maybe from a property perspective. Okay, go on. Okay, well, I, I mean, I think the first one, if, if you think about it, is the getting going as a developer. Mm. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we talk to a lot of students uh, that... Um, you know, they, 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 they talk round and round about websites and business cards and what should we call the company and how should we set it up and oh, where's the office and this and that. And, you know, as we say to people, just get going. Get started. You know, they, yes, you can, you can spend hours and hours, weeks and weeks getting a great website up and running. And, yeah, boy, it can look good and it can do, can, can do you a lot of good. But a, a quick, simple site, 250, 350 pounds from a quick online provider, can get a site up and running in maybe 48 hours for you quite comfortably supply them with a few pictures a bit of text and they're up and running and i guess this goes back this is a proper real you know a real example of lean startup get your website up and running you know choose a name now one thing with a name you don't want to change it so this sort of goes a little bit against that but you know keep the name but get your website get your design get it all out there and then start talking to people telling people you're a developer, this is what I do, because you've got backup. The worst scenario, I think, is I see people go out and they say, I'm a developer. Oh, I haven't got a business card yet. You haven't got a website because I'm perfecting it. I'm working on it. Where actually, I think you go back to your lean startup. Yeah, it might not be right, but if people give you feedback and say, I've looked at your website, oh, you know, you don't look like a developer or I didn't, didn't like the images on there, you can now go back and change it, and you've only spent a few hundred pounds. So I think mm. the first point in, in terms of developers and lean startup is just get going. Yeah. On your website, your brand and your image, no more than seven days get it up and running. If you can't do it in that time to start with, you're taking too long, and go back and refine it later. I guess we could also apply this lean startup uh, to, to maybe if you're going down a route with the development and it's not working, so you're analysing some numbers, you're, you're putting it together and you want to build it out in a certain fashion, whether that's a conversion or a new build or whatever, and it's not working. You know, you've got to flush those quick numbers out. 
I have seen instances where people start getting all excited and you know they're starting to commission architects, they're commission engineers, they've got a project manager and they're pulling it all together. And actually, you know, it doesn't even work. They've not gone through this initial process from beginning to end, you know, with a proper deal analyzer, maybe bringing a start agent on board saying, are we going to sell these? And in a way, a good lean startup approach here is, is get a deal analyzer done, feed some basic numbers into it, see if it looks as if it works, get out, talk to some estate agents, says, right, I'm going to put some of this in the market, is it going to sell? And the estate agent says, you're putting one bed flats in this market, there's an oversupply, no good. You can now go back, pivot, as you say, and you can maybe go down to a two-bed route, or maybe you can re- completely regenerate the scheme into three-bed houses, or maybe you don't even do the scheme. Yeah. So I think the lean startup there can apply here is just get out, talk to people, look at the end route, look at the exit. If it's not right, reverse back, pivot, and change. And you can do that really quickly, can't yeah. you? Yeah. Um, now, you're absolutely right. I think it's certainly seen a lot of people that have gone down the route. They get fixated almost on, on the project. Um, and they, they, they go through all of these hoops and there's a fundamental problem that they've missed effectively out of the blocks. Yeah. And they've, they've done a lot of work for nothing. Yeah, and yeah. Worst, worst case, they could have potentially bought the project and started work on it with, without understanding that. So, yeah, th- pivoting at the start. I think you could also probably apply it to, to maybe education in, in, in property arena. You know, people that are wanting to get into property and there's a lot of new people with absolutely no experience. And then they, they, yeah, I want to do HMOs. I want to do development. I want to do rent to rent. And they go down and they spend thousands and thousands on courses and education and go to networking and this and that. And then they do it or they find out what it's really about, often by talking to someone who's doing it. And they go, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Now, you know, if, if you want to get into, say, I don't know, service departments, um, not for everyone, quite a lot of work involved can give you a good return, but quite a lot of work involved, more than perhaps people think, you know, you're running a hotel, basically. Uh, maybe, you know, the lean startup approach is come up with some basic numbers, put some initial ideas, get a bit of education, but then maybe go and talk to some people that are doing it and see what you think. And is it for you? And if it's not for you, don't do it. You know, you're getting feedback there from a slightly different angle. Development the same. Is development for you? You know, if that's not for you, don't don't go down that road. So rather than spend, you know, straight away jumping in and doing loads and loads, is actually just think about it and go and talk to a developer. So, you, you know, you're a new developer. I know with some of the sessions we do, we, we have some sort of new developers telling what their journey is about. Well, talk to them and say, is this for me? If it's not, don't don't spend thousands and thousands on education. Yeah. So yeah. I think the lean startup model can apply to all sorts of things in development. That's no, for sure. Fantastic. Now I think they're all excellent points. Uh, I mean, basically, you shouldn't be afraid to put stuff out there, even when it's far from perfect. You know, the test and learn uh, kind of feedback loop allows you to get results far more quickly, and of course that in turn means that you reach your end goal more quickly yeah. as a result. So you, you can apply this in so many uh, yeah, different situations, not just property, but in just business generally. Yeah, absolutely. And don't be fearful of negative reaction. This is what you're saying here, because mm. that's the feedback that allows you to pivot uh, and stops you going down a, a blind alley somewhere where you don't want to be. Yeah, absolutely right. absolutely right. Ian, that's been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for that. I'm afraid that's all we've got time for in this episode, but please Join us again next time when we're getting you the uh, inside track once more on another part of the property world. In the meantime, feel free to check out our other episodes and you can visit our website, which is at propertyceo.co.uk. But until next time, it's goodbye from us both. Goodbye.